meditate with you for a moment on just the significance of what it means that Jesus was born in a place like Bethlehem and that he grew up in a place like Nazareth. Uh, We've been in Matthew 1 and 2 in our Advent uh, series. It really concludes tonight, and Matthew chapter 2 ends with Jesus returning from exile or having to flee from Herod in Egypt, and they come back to Israel, and he's raised in Nazareth. So we have chapter 2 being bookended by these really small towns. He's born in Bethlehem, and he grows up in Nazareth. If you were just to check out any kind of top Christmas songs, Christmas hymns, most popular, and you'll find almost on every list a uh, little town of Bethlehem, to the point where most people probably don't know anything about Bethlehem except for the fact that it has something to do with Christmas and that it's really little, that it's tiny. But the focus on Bethlehem's smallness is not unique to the song. It's Micah says the exact same thing. And so when the wise men come to question Herod, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? And Herod goes and questions the religious leaders about it. They quote from Micah 5.2. And I'm going to read it from Micah instead of from Matthew 2. The prophet prophesies, But you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. So it's clear from his prophecy is that this was not just this new arrival of some new creation. This was not going to be a normally created human being, but this was going to be the ancient of days the eternal Son of God coming and taking up residence in a human form, and his arrival was going to be in Bethlehem. One of the things that's so awesome about this prophecy is that it's 700 years before Jesus arrives. So the King of Kings is calling it 700 years beforehand, saying, I am coming and I'm coming to Bethlehem. But I think what is so mysterious about this is that this is the promised seed of Abraham. This is the promised son of David who would redeem God's people and be the ruler of the kings of the earth. And yet, in a mystery of mysteries, he's born of all places in this tiny town of Bethlehem. You just have to imagine if God was going to take up human flesh and he was going to come as a king, how would you imagine, if you weren't so familiar with the story, how would you imagine that he would come? How would you design it if you came? And what this text says is that this town was so small that it was too small to be even considered a town or a village. This is like one of those main, like, SR-152. Like, it doesn't even get a name because it's so small. If you look at a list of cities and towns of Judah's territory in Joshua 15, there's 115 cities and their villages listed in the territory of Judah. And Bethlehem does not even get an honorable mention. 115 towns and villages do. Bethlehem does not. And then Jesus goes up and he grows up in dead in Nazareth. And when you hear Nazareth, you need to hear, and I don't know what it is for you based on where you grew up, but it's that town on the other side of the tracks that you and your friends kind of make fun of or you don't really want to be found there, right? Um, So I'm not going to list any towns from around here because I don't want to offend anybody's sensibilities if you're from there. But he's from that town. So that's what you need to hear 
when you hear Jesus of Nazareth, it's like him saying Jesus of Brattleboro, Jesus of Marlboro, Jesus of Hinsdale, Jesus of Reedsboro. It's, it's small. It's tiny. So why would God the Father choose such a small place for his son to come take up residence? And why would he pick this no-name dead-end town for him to be raised up in? And I think probably when we ask questions about why God does things, there's probably thousands of reasons. But I want to give you three tonight uh, for us to meditate on. One is that Jesus' birth in Bethlehem shows the depth of Jesus' salvation, the depth of his salvation. You can see that Bethlehem was too little to be noticed or counted by Judah, but not too small for God. And his word to Bethlehem comes directly to them. It's personal. He says, you, Bethlehem. He saw Bethlehem. He noticed it. And it was not too small for him, for them to receive a word from God. And it wasn't too small for them to receive this visit from God himself. And I think the purpose of this is that Though Bethlehem was small, it had this huge role to play in telling us some truth about God and his character, that there is no place and there are no people too little for his salvation. There's no place that's too small or outside of the reach of his salvation, that when he came, he came for a people like us. He came for a people as small as you. I was driving in, I was thinking as I was passing people, he came for you, he came for you. I think sometimes we can get so lost and God so loved the world that he gave his only son that we can forget that God so loved you. He so loved Bethlehem that he sent his son into a place as small as Bethlehem. And so you need to hear this Christmas that you deeply matter to God. Jesus' arrival in a place as small as Bethlehem showcased that. Bethlehem, though being tiny, deeply mattered to God. And he had a plan by which he would use Bethlehem for the showcase of his glory. And in the same way, he has a plan for someone as small as us to use us for the showcase of his glory. And now we know that by his grace, God's just like the Father sent Christ to Bethlehem, he now sends his people to the furthest reaches of the globe, to the most unseen places. When Jesus talks about sending out his servants to go gather people for the marriage supper of the Lamb, he says, go to the highways and to the hedges. We're bringing people from everywhere because everyone's invited. And so we are called to go to all places, to places that are even seemingly as small and insignificant and inconsequential as Bethlehem. But the second thing that we see what Bethlehem and Nazareth communicate to us this Christmas is not just the depth of Jesus's salvation, but the scope of his rule. Micah's prophecy, though addressed to Bethlehem, is not mainly about Bethlehem but about the ruler who would come forth from Bethlehem, the one whose going forth was from ancient days. This was the one who was in the beginning with God and who was God and through whom and for whom all things have been made. The one who existed from all eternity as God the Son was humbling himself to come forth from a place like Bethlehem. And he was coming so that he could be our good shepherd and rule over us as our good king. It's what Micah says two verses later 
in verse 4. He shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. And I don't want you to miss that, what he's communicating there. He will be great to the ends of the earth. This was a king who was coming to rule. Yes, he was coming as an infant, but he was coming to rule over his people and to lead us and to be our good shepherd. And his greatness would be to the ends of the earth. Demonstration, he's born in a place like Bethlehem. From the ends of the earth, from this quiet corner of the world, to every quiet corner of the world and every place in between, this king would rule over the people that he came to redeem. So Jesus is king over all from heaven to Bethlehem and everywhere in between. That's one thing. Another thing that Bethlehem teaches us is Christmas. And then the third and the final uh, demonstration from Bethlehem and Nazareth is the nature of this king and his kingdom. You think about how Jesus could have come into the world that he created. I think about this every Christmas. He could have come in glory and in majesty and in strength. He could have come as an adult and just gone ahead and established. He could have brought judgment and established his kingdom. But he came small and weak. This is the king who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came initially not to Jerusalem, but to Bethlehem. He existed in the form of God, but although he existed in the form of God, he emptied himself by taking the form of a man. And he humbled himself by obedience all the way down to Bethlehem, all the way through Nazareth, all the way to the cross. And it was humility and humiliation all along the way, him taking on all of our weakness. God's word says that he left the riches of heaven for the poverty of our humanity, a poverty as low even as Bethlehem, a poverty even as low as his family's, so that we could have the riches of his righteousness and his blessing. We know that God chooses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak things of the world to demonstrate his strength. And we need to see that from Bethlehem and Nazareth this Christmas is that God's glory is not mainly seen in redeeming what is already glorious, what's already strong. He doesn't just give strength to the strong. He redeems us out of our weakness. He doesn't come to what's impressive for what was already righteous. He came for the sick, for those in need of healing, for that which was sinful and weak. And after his birth in Bethlehem, Jesus chose to grow up in this small town of Nazareth. And it's significant, I think, that when Jesus reveals himself to Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul says he revealed himself to him as Jesus of Nazareth. He still, right now, calls himself, I'm from Nazareth. Because he he wants us to know this humanity is real. He assumed all of our humanity and our weakness, and he didn't shy away 
from that which was weak or sinful or unimpressive, he assumed it, took it to the grave, and was resurrected with it in glory. And now he reigns as truly man. He's still from Nazareth. In his humility, Jesus came and associated with lowly people in dead-end places. And that is one of the peculiar glories that he showcases in growing up in Nazareth. At the end of Matthew 2, the last verse says, He went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now you can go search the entire Old Testament, and you will not find one prophet that says that the Messiah would be called a Nazarene. So in what way does this growing up in Nazareth or Jesus being a Nazarene fulfill what was spoken of by the prophets? And I think this word from Nathaniel in John chapter 1 gives us a view into what Matthew is talking about, what Jesus specifically is fulfilling in being called a Nazarene. In John 1, verse 46, uh, Philip's coming to Nathanael to invite him to come be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael's response is, can anything good come out of Nazareth? We're talking about Nazareth? Nazareth was despised and rejected by men. And so too was Jesus. Then you turn to Isaiah 53. And I think this is the significance of what was fulfilled in Jesus being a Nazarene, is that not only was this the king to whom all the nations would come to worship, like we saw at the beginning of chapter 2, but this was the suffering servant that Isaiah spoke of, the one who fulfills this prophecy. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we would look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was a Nazarene. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was a Nazarene. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. We know to as many as did receive him, he gives the right to become children of God and such we are because the child in the manger became the man on the cross, and he lived this righteous life so that he could go to the cross as the Lamb of God, the one who was born like a lamb in a manger stall, grew up to be the ultimate Passover lamb who would take away the sins of the world. And so now, because he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, by his wounds we can be healed. Isaiah continues, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. 
He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, that made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death? Although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Jesus came. This is why he came. The cross must always be in view from the manger to know Surely he came to bear our sins and our sorrows. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, the servant of God that was prophesied of 700 years beforehand, he has borne our iniquities and caused us to be counted righteous if we've placed our trust in him. And this is our hope this Christmas. Whatever circumstances you find yourself in, this is the message of Jesus' birth from Bethlehem and his life in Nazareth. He came to heal you, even you, of your wounds. He came to us, even to us, so that he could bring us peace by the blood of his cross. And us, even us, even a people as small and insignificant and inconsequential as us, he has transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of of the son that he loves. And so we sing with the angels, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. We are mindful this Christmas that uh, holiday seasons have a way of compounding grief. And you guys can come back up, Elijah and Jordan. Uh, These griefs, these sorrows that Jesus carries, they come into sharper focus a lot of times when you're missing loved ones or the trial that you're going through feels more painful because of the joy that this season normally brings. So I want to remind you that God's word now says that we can cast our cares on him because why? Because he cares for you. So the same thing that he came to a place like Bethlehem because you matter deeply to God. 
And so I want you to know that the God of all comfort sees you this Christmas in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of you missing loved ones. And so I want to invite you, if you have lost a loved one this year, uh, we want to invite you to come and light uh, a candle in their memory, in their honor, um, and just as a way of bringing your sorrows and your sadness and your longings, your burdens afresh to the God of all comfort and casting them on the Lord.